Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So the Bible gives us everything we need to know in religion. It will it will make it so the man of God is perfect or complete, thoroughly furnish us into all good works. It's profitable for doctrine. There are a lot of teachings out there that I'm afraid are taught because the person teaching them can make money instead of what the scriptures teaches. I think a lot of the premillennial teachings are that way. If you Maybe if you write something about the Bible and it's not really sensational, you may not make a lot of money. But if you make up some things that aren't in the Bible and make it really sensational, you can sell a lot of books. I'm afraid that's what happened. And people swallow it. They believe what these teachers teach who are teaching it because they can make more money instead of, and nobody checks to see if it's in the Bible. Again, I think premillennialism is a good example of this. You know, the war in Israel, Gaza, uh, reminds us, reminds me that there's a lot of religious people out there, denominational teachers that teach that the Jews are still God's chosen people, that we ought to support Israel because they're God's chosen people. Now, maybe we ought to support them, the United States. Maybe we ought to support them because they're allies, but it's not because they're God's chosen people anymore. They're not. The Bible makes that crystal clear. Now, people don't want to own up to that because they can make more money preaching that they are, but they're not. Let's look at that to start with. First, are the Jews still God's chosen people, or was that promise made to them conditionally? Well, when God made them his chosen people, from the very beginning in Exodus 19, 5, here's what he said. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Basically, God is saying, if you'll keep my law, I'll be your God and you'll be my special people, my chosen nation, if you obey my voice indeed, which implies that if they quit obeying God's voice, they will quit being his chosen nation. And throughout the history of the Old Testament, the Israelites kept disobeying God. God would send, try to get them to repent. Many times they would repent. Eventually, though, God took away their status as his chosen nation. Let's show that. Here's Deuteronomy 28, verse 58 and 63. God said, if thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, it shall come to pass that the Lord will destroy you and bring you to naught, and you shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. If they quit obeying God, then they'll cease being God's chosen people. That's what it says, basically. If you have a Bible question or a comment, the lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Well, let's look at another passage. How about Matthew 23, 37 and 38? Jesus speaking here says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. 
Behold, your house is left to you desolate. They needed to repent, Jesus says at the end of Matthew 23. He would like to gather them back together. Get them to repent. They would not. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. What does that sound like? Does that sound like they're still going to be the house of God? You know, Matthew 23, the end of Matthew 23 is right before Matthew 24, 1 through 34, which is all about the final destruction of Jerusalem and the Jews in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied Matthew 24, 1 through 34 about this upcoming destruction of Jerusalem. It was going to happen in that generation. Usually we think of a generation as being 40 years, and sure enough, it happened. It's 70 AD. The Roman army, led by Titus, came in and destroyed them. We'll get back to this topic in a minute. Gary from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, Brother Patrick, I don't know why I was led a couple of weeks ago to call and encourage you and to pray for you, but I see why now. After the statement you just made, I have not run into anyone who was brave enough to uh, see that clarity in the scripture that says that, uh, you know, you don't just automatically become God's chosen with any kind of disobedience uh, relative to what you said about uh, the Jews. I mean, and I agree with you 100 percent. They got to come by Calvary just like we have to come by Calvary. Uh, but uh, that's, ex- that's exactly right, Gary. You get it. You get it. If you don't, if you don't absolutely. follow Christ, you're not God's chosen people anymore. I, I, absolutely. And I don't even, I don't know how those of us who've gone by the foot of the cross and accepted this joyous salvation would just give someone a pass on it and say just because you know you're called by the name of being a, a Jew that you have a special arrangement or you have a special privilege with God. You, you know, you, you can't, you, you got to obey. <laughs> and so I, I just, man, that, that's when I heard that, I said, wow, I can't believe that he's bold enough to say it. I've never heard anyone else bold enough to say it, but it's right there in the scriptures. It's, it's, it's conditional. It's not, it's not automatic. It's not, you know, they, it's not an entitlement, you know, and uh, I, I just appreciate you being bold enough to, uh, Make that uh, clarity. You know, you and I, we differ on some things, but, uh, brother, I'm 101% in agreement with what you just said. And I I pray that God will continue to bless you, that you continue to speak truth to power. Gary, I appreciate the fact you said it was conditional. Isn't that what we just read a while ago in Exodus 19? If you obey my voice, then you'll be a peculiar treasure to me above all people. That's conditional. right? As long as they obeyed him, they were going to be his chosen nation. It's not it's not automatic, you know, and, and, and you know, and, 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 and you know, to, to, to show that it, it is with conditions. Now, let's say you and I, we both are parents. I'm being uh, I'm assuming here. I know I'm a parent now. I'm a my parent. child will all my child will always be my child. I can say now you are my child. I, I can't say there you are my child if but I say you will be in my good favor as my child if. You know, right. So, you, yeah, so I, exactly. You'll I, be in my I, will I, if. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, then. That's what I had to add to the program tonight, Brother Patrick. And you, you know you're going to receive some backlash from that one now, so you get ready. <laughs> Thank you for your encouragement, Gary. Okay. Have, have a good evening. So let's look at another passage that I think is clearest of all. This is the parable of Matthew 21, 33 through 46. In the King James Version, we normally call it the parable of the householder. A householder meant a farmer. Here's a man who owns some land, but he leaves. He, he goes and moves away to a different location. So he kind of like lets out or rents out his land to some farmers. And they, I don't know how they're painting. If they're painting money or if they're sharecroppers. 
but he's moved away, and they're supposed to pay him a share of the crop or the money. Okay? But here's what happens. They're not sending their rent money. They're not sending their money. So he sends his servants one by one to collect. And they, every time he sends a servant, they kill a servant. Finally, he says, I'll send my son. They'll respect my son. He sends his son. And what do those sharecroppers do? They kill his son. They don't pay the rent. They, they kill his son. Now, obviously, the parable is referring to God as the householder, sending the servants to the Jews. That would be his prophets. Finally, they kept killing the prophets. We just read that in Matthew 23. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. So sending the servants and them killing the servants represents God sending the prophets to the Jews. Finally, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and they kill him. That's the Jews, isn't it? And here's what verse 43 and then verse 45 say in that parable, Matthew 21. It says, therefore, I say unto you, this is Jesus giving us the conclusion of the parable. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Because they killed all the servants and then the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back is when he sent his son and they killed him, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The result, the outcome of the parable is the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, the Jews, and given to another nation. Then verse 45 says, and when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parables, parables, they perceived that he spake of them. The Jews knew it. They knew that they, the, the, the farmers that were leaning out, leasing out the land that weren't paying the rent and that killed the servants and that killed the son, they knew it referred to them. They had killed the prophets when they were sent by God to get them to repent. They killed the prophets when God sent his son. They killed him. They knew it was talking about them and it says the kingdom shall be taken from you. So now they're not, they don't represent God's kingdom. They're not God's chosen people anymore. It says the kingdom of God was taken from the Jews. That's the parable. Given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now you might say, Taken from the Jews, given to the Gentiles. That's not exactly right. It's as Gary said, just the one who just called in. It's taken from the Jews and given to Christians. Now, it's true, at least now, most Christians are Gentiles. Okay? So you, somebody could say, well, it's taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles, another nation. Well, roughly that's so, but not exactly. It's not really given to the Gentiles. It's given to the Christians. So even a Jew, somebody with a Jewish ancestry, could be part of this chosen nation. If he follows Christ, just like Gary said, if he follows the crucified Savior, then he's part of the chosen nation. It has to do with being a Christian, being born again. It's back in the Old Testament times, you were part of God's chosen nation simply by being born into it, born as a Jew. It's not that way anymore. That kingdom was taken from them, is what this parable is saying, because they killed the servants, the prophets that God sent. They killed his son that God sent. It's given to another nation. Christians, anybody who's willing to obey the gospel and be a Christian, born again, that's what makes you a child of this kingdom, not being born physically. That means now there is no more Jew or Gentile distinction. Let's talk about that. But first, if you have a Bible question or comment, give me a call. Give me a call, 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment 877-655-6755. The Jews used to be God's chosen people, but they kept on sinning, sinning, sinning. They finally, the straw that broke the camel's back is when they killed the Son of God, crucified him. That status was taken away from them. Now God's chosen people are the Christians. You could be a Christian whether or not you're Jew or Gentile. 
talking about physical descent there. So now there's no more Jew or Gentile distinction. Let me show that. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. He says, outward. That doesn't matter anymore. You're not a Jew because you're born that way or circumcised. You're a Jew inwardly. You're a Jew inwardly if you're a Christian. That's confirmed also by Galatians 3, 26 and 29. That is on this subject that we're talking about. It says, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's the point of this context. It used to be you were a child of God by birth. Israelite. Descendant of Abraham. Or more specifically, Jacob, his grandson. Now he says, you're not a child of God by birth anymore. You're a child of God by faith. If you've been baptized into Christ. And if you've done that, you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, it says, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're not Abraham's seed now by physical descent. You're Abraham's seed because you became a child of God, not by birth, but by faith, by being baptized into Christ. And if you did that, you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's he saying? The Jews, physical Jews, aren't God's chosen people anymore. That's a child of God by birth. You're a child of God by faith, just like Gary said. If you follow the crucified one, it's Calvary that changes everything. If you're a Christian, you are a child of God. You're part, you're a part of the chosen nation. Doesn't matter where you live. You could be Chinese, Mexican, African. None of that matters. Your physical descent. It used to, under the Old Testament times, descendant of Abraham, Jacob, you're a child of God. Now it doesn't matter where you live or what your physical descendant descendancy is it's if you're a follower of christ here's galatians 6 15 and 16 it says for in christ jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature and as many as the walk according to this rule peace be upon them and mercy and upon the israel of god you're not the israel of god by physical descent it's those who walk according to this rule who walk as a christian now it makes no difference physical descent so we have all these people living in what we call israel and they're in a, a war with the people, the Hamas in Gaza. People in America say, well, that's God's chosen nation. No, it is not. Now, I appreciate the fact that they're our allies politically, and we might need to support them because of that, but it has nothing to do with them being God's chosen nation. God's chosen nation are Christians. Wherever they live, whatever their physical descent is, if you follow Christ and you are a Christian, if you're born again spiritually, has nothing to do with physical birth. Has nothing to do with living in Israel and being a descendant of Abraham and Jacob anymore. It all has to do with being having being a child of God by faith, being baptized into Christ. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Now, to show this point, I want to look at two passages. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. And here we have, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, God describing... His children, his chosen nation, the Jews, in Exodus 19. It says, you shall be a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Notice those terms. Because those same terms are in 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 to describe Christians. It says, you are a spiritual house, 
holy priesthood, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. The exact same terms in Exodus 19 that are used to describe the Jews as God's chosen nation. Those exact same terms are now used in 1 Peter 2 to describe Christians as God's chosen nation. A holy nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation. You see, it's not the Jews anymore that are the holy nation. It's the Christians that are the holy nation. Israel, what we look at a globe and the map and we see Israel, those people, that's not God's chosen nation anymore. Not at all. They're not God's chosen people any, anymore, anymore. They lost that status because they would not obey God. They didn't meet the condition, as Gary said, from Exodus 19.5. They didn't continue to obey God's voice. And the straw that broke the camel's back is when God sent his son and they killed the son. That caused them to lose their status as God's chosen nation. As Jesus said in that parable, talking about the Jews, he says, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. It was taken from the Jews, the status of being God's chosen people, and given to Christians. Given to Christians. You make a choice about whether or not you want to be a part of the chosen nation. You become a Christian. Has nothing to do with your physical descent. Now, we mentioned we were starting off this program talking about premillennialism because that's a major tenet of premillennialism, it seems, that the Jews are still God's chosen nation. Now, here's a dictionary definition of premillennialism. I got off the Internet, and I can send you this outline, and you can see where I got this definition. Premillennialism teaches Jesus' second coming will occur before a literal thousand-year reign of Christ from Jerusalem upon the earth. Now, the premillennialists, they may disagree on details. A lot of people disagree on details about a lot of things. They disagree on some details, but here's the things that, the one thing they all agree on that makes them a premillennialist. They say when Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to set up a literal 1,000-year reign, physical reign in Jerusalem with armies and military and everything. Just like David and Solomon, who were kings over that kingdom back then and had military and they conquered people with their military battles. First of all, that doesn't really make any sense. If Jesus is coming and reigning as a physical king, with why would he need an army? If he needed to beat somebody in a battle you know, over another country, he could just snap his fingers. That's, he wouldn't have to have a military to conquer anything. That doesn't make any sense on the surface, but that's premillennialism. And let's now show it runs directly contrary to what the scriptures say. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The Bible doesn't say anything like Jesus is coming back. When he comes back the second time, he's going to set up a physical reign in Jerusalem and reign just like David and Solomon for a thousand years. That's something people made up so they could sell books. It's not in the Bible. People made it up so they can sell a lot of books. I mean, you think about it. If, they, if you just wrote what the book of Revelation said, you probably wouldn't sell a lot of books. But if you make up a bunch of stuff about the book of Revelation, a bunch of sensational stuff and talk about here it is, here it is right now, you're going to sell a lot of books. And the people listening to this made up stuff, made up sell books, they're listening to it and believing it. Here's what the Bible says about what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, and then verse 10. Now, I want to read 3 and 4 of that chapter to set up the context. Here's 3 and 4, 2 Peter 3. There shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? So what are they doing? Jesus has promised to come back the second time. Okay? Now we're talking about 50 or 60 years later, Second Peter, the book of Second Peter is being written. He's saying, 
The people are mocking that. It's been 50 or 60 years since Jesus said he's coming back the second time. He hadn't come. I don't think he's coming. They're laughing at the Christians. They're mocking him. He's not ever coming. He said he's going to come. He's not ever going to come. So this context is talking about the second coming of Christ. And here's what verse 10 says about it. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back the second time? The earth's going to be burned up. It's going to be the end of the world. There's not going to be any time for a literal 1,000 physical reign of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. Premillennialism. I don't care how many teachers teach that. It's not in the Bible. This clearly says when Jesus comes back, it says, and I quote, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. No 1,000 year physical reign from Jerusalem. No, when Jesus comes back, that's the end of the world. The earth's going to be burned up. Now, it doesn't matter how many teachers teach that in order to make money. It's just not in the Bible. Instead, it clearly opposes what the Bible says, that the earth will be destroyed when Jesus comes back. That one thing would refute pre-millennialism, but let's continue on refuting it. But if you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. Now, the Bible does talk about a kingdom. This kingdom, they're saying, Jesus is going to set up this kingdom when he comes back. A physical kingdom, they're talking about. This kingdom, the Bible talks about it, but it's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It was never intended to be physical. Let me show that to you. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus is saying, it's not a physical kingdom. If it were a physical kingdom, we would battle. We would fight. We would use guns, and they didn't have guns, swords, and fight. My kingdom is not like that, is what Jesus is saying. My servants are going to fight that way. Now, we might say they fight with the word of God and try to instruct people with the word of God, uh, but they don't fight with physical weapons because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. You're part of that kingdom if you decide to serve the king, Jesus Christ, in your heart. Luke 17, 20 and 21 reads, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. You know, the United States kingdom, you know, goes from Atlantic to Pacific, from Canada to Mexico, add to that Alaska and Hawaii. It's got geographical borders, and there's a capital, Washington, D.C., and they could, they sometimes get into wars to extend or the battle or extend the borders or maintain the borders or whatever. You can find the United States on a map. You can say, lo, it's here or lo, it's there. But you can't do that with the kingdom of God. It's, you can't find it on a map. It doesn't have geographical borders. It's not going to be a physical kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. If in your heart you decide to serve the king, you're part of the kingdom. doesn't matter what politics you are, whether you're communist, democratic, republican, None of that matters. It doesn't matter where you, whether, where you live, China, Af- Afghanistan. None of that matters. The kingdom of God is within you. If you decide to serve the king, the king of the king of kingdom is Jesus, then you're part of the kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And this kingdom is in existence right now. Not something that's going to come into existence when Jesus comes back. It's in existence right now. Let me prove that to you. Here's John the Baptist talking in Matthew 3, 2. He says, repent ye, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that hand mean? It means close by, either close by physically or close by time-wise. And he means here close by time-wise. In other words, the kingdom of God is coming soon. Jesus confirms that in Mark 9, 1. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there shall be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus is saying to an audience there, some of you will still be alive physically when the kingdom of God comes. So the kingdom of God came in that first century time frame or else we have some people today living that are 2,000 years old. We'll continue this study next week. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. Call or text me at 256-682-9753 if you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience. Go to BibleCrossFire.com if you want to ask me a question on the Internet, hear the archives of the program, do a correspondence course, request a Bible study.